0: Queen's Health Outreach is a student-run, registered charity based on the campus of Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. Our goal is to facilitate needs-based peer-to-peer health discussions on a local, national, and international scale. This podcast is for those who are interested in health, global health, global development, ethical engagement, and education. Join us and our special guests bi-weekly as we chat about discussions surrounding all these topics and more. We would like to thank the CFRC 101.9 and the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences for this collaboration. Additionally, we would like to acknowledge that Queen's University is situated on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. We're so grateful to be able to live, learn, and work on these lands.
1: Hi everyone, your host Rosie here. I hope you've enjoyed QH on Air thus far and can sit back, relax, and listen to another great episode coming up. I'm so excited for you to listen to what our next guests have to say. In this episode, the first guest is Dr. Caroline Pucal. Dr. Pucal received her PhD in clinical psychology from McGill University. She is currently a full professor in the Department of Psychology and the Director of Sex Therapy Service at the Psychology Clinic at Queen's University. Caroline's research lab, the Sexual Health Research Laboratory, brims with enthusiastic, collaborative, and keen students of all levels who work diligently on research projects examining various aspects of sexuality. She is also the associate editor for Sexual Medicine Reviews and is on the editorial board of several journals, including the Archives of Sexual Behavior, the Journal of Sex and Marital Therapy, and the Canadian Journal of Human Sexuality. Recently, she was even the co-chair of the the Women's Sexual Pain Disorders Committee of the International Consultation of Sexual Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Hucal, to QHO on Air. And um, I would love for you just to start off with telling us a bit about yourself and anything else you'd like us to know uh, aside from work or aside from that introduction. Great,
0: well thanks so much Rosie for having me on today. I'm very excited to chat with you about sexuality and relationship stuff. So this is always so much fun for me. Um, So um, I'm a professor of psychology uh, here at Queens. Um, I'm also the director of the Sexual Health Research Lab. And so you can check us out at um, sexlab.ca. We do all sorts of really cool uh, inclusive research uh, looking at sexuality and relationships. Uh, we also like come up we also develop new questionnaires because a lot of them are outdated and very binary and you know heterocentric and so we just kind of go ahead and and we're we're just doing our best in order to update a lot of really cool stuff that you could measure in sexuality research and i'm also the director of the um, sex and relationship therapy service at the queen psychology clinic and so I am an academic, I do research, but I'm also professionally trained as a clinical psychologist. And I choose to do my clinical practice in the area of sexuality and relationships. Um, And I train students in that venue as well. And we also do um, assessments for um, gender dysphoria as well. And so we do have um, an arm of the service that is dedicated to uh, people who need, you know, differential diagnoses or letters to support their, um, their path in terms of transitioning um, and all aspects of gender affirming care. So we do offer that service as well. And so, you know, work is great. I work with millions of wonderful people, millions, a lot of really great people. I run a really fantastic lab, um, you know, um, and outside of work, um, you know, it's COVID now, so I'm not doing a lot of things I typically would enjoy which you know, um like lots of outdoor sort of activities with people. Um, and so my life has kind of changed.
1: Yeah,
0: but I do enjoy working out. I put uh, in a private studio here in Kingston and it's like really hard, but so good. And sometimes I get to punch heavy bags and it makes me feel oh, cool. good. Yeah. Um, and you know, I yeah, I like to cook and I like to eat. Um, yeah. and there's just you know, there's really not much, yeah. I've got kids. So I hang out with my kids a lot. um, And, you know, um, I'm usually a very social person, and I'm out quite a lot with uh, my friends. uh, And that has changed. So I feel a bit lonelier these days, but I know they're there.
1: (laughs) Oh, for sure. And it's definitely so different for everyone. I think it's just a matter of being creative. I think people think, you know, we need to lock ourselves in our house, but you can do things like Zoom or walks outside and um, do it in a safe way. And Hopefully yeah. you can see your friends um, as much as you can. Um, kind of jumping into our conversation about sexuality, I thought it was super important to touch on the uh, key indicators of a healthy and unhealthy sexual relationship. Um, what do you think are kind of those key things to look for? And how would someone you know, be able to know if they're in, in a healthy or unhealthy r- relationship?
0: Yeah. And so that's a really, really good question. Um, you know, healthy relationships take many, many different forms. Wow. Um, and so it's really hard to sort of almost define what healthy relationships look like because they look so different right. um, from one person to another, to another. It's a lot easier to say, what are the red flags, you know, that, that we should be paying attention to. Right. Um, and that we sh- should be concerned about. Right. It um, it it looks so unhealthy. Relationships sometimes are very outwardly very unhealthy. So there is you know a lot of really explicit sort of means of controlling another person, such that one member of the couple is not like is very isolated, um, and you know they are not. You know, they they don't seem safe, you know, and they're not comfortable talking about the relationship Um, and, you know, they can't do certain things. And so those are things that we could really talk. But a lot of the time it's very subtle, manipulative, very long term kind of changes where the person, you know, with happy relationship, and then two years down the road, you realize the person has changed, they're no longer seeing their friends, they are isolated, They, um, from their friends, from their family, um, and all of these things, and it sort of took on like a very long-term sort of you know, sort of downfall where the person, right. like you, yeah, you. so it's a very, very subtle, um, you know, and it takes place over time. And, and of course, you know, people expect that when you're in a new relationship that you're going to be spending a lot of time with your partner. Yeah. Um, but this is, it's almost like people don't bounce back from that
2: right. the person's
0: identity is completely tied to that person in control of that person. It's really hard to say, like, look for yeah. this, you know, yeah, but it, it's true. more of these changes we need to be aware of, right? Yeah, right. Um, and so healthy relationships, yeah, so healthy relationships kind of look like, you know, there's open communication, yeah. and it is like, you know, it is involving all of the partners of that relationship, right? right? And there's negotiation, and there's a bit of compromise, but it's balanced overall, and nothing's ever going to be exactly 50-50. Yes, um so there so there, there's this there's this like you know sort of like evolving in terms of like this this these couple let's talk about couples you know like in in terms of like forms of relationship we'll talk about a couple like there's an evolution in terms of they are co-creating their couplehood right they're they're sort of they're each kind of taking apart and they're each giving a bit and they're each kind of taking a little bit right and so that's nice and balance Um, and that there's like express value for each other that you know they're not always kind of dangling the whole I'm going to leave you if you don't and oh this you know this isn't great you should change that because I don't want to deal with this like that that is just not a healthy um you can't change people when you're in relationships right you don't go in there to change them to be exactly who you want them to be Um, and I think that's a huge lesson to learn is that you only change your own behavior. You can negotiate certain aspects of relationships with your partner, absolutely, but you fundamentally cannot change them. And that even shouldn't even be a goal. You should appreciate them for who they are even though they're not perfect, even though they're kind of quirky from time to time. I mean, right. I love quirky people. They're so interesting. <laughs> so that's they're something big. I look for in terms of my social circle, right? I don't, yeah. I don't look for people who don't have like little sparkles on them, right? Yeah. Like I, I look for people who I'm interested in, yeah. in chatting with. Yeah. Um, and that decisions are made by, by, made by both people and that there's like, time being spent together and that there's actually time being spent apart. That is key sure. is that the couple have their lives together, but they also have their lives outside of that couple where right. they are with their friends with their family. They're on their own. They're cycling. You know, they are taking a walk. They're hiking with a buddy. Um, you know, No, they're hanging with their sibling. Like there's just like that is the mark of a really, really good relationship kind of overall. And unhealthy relationships is where, you know, you see like a person is like, you know, sort of fading away in front of your eyes, that their own personality, their own voice isn't being heard. Um, and that they are alone.
1: Yes, right. And it's interesting that you brought up that, you know healthy relationships can look so different because I never thought about it like that. And it's true because there's some couples I've seen or know that, you know what, spending a lot of time together for them is healthy for them. You know, you know what I mean? Like sometimes it just does look like that. Um, but generally you think you would say that it's probably, um, having a little bit of autonomy and, and in general feeling safe and, um, feeling in control and that you have a say. Um, right. So yeah, that's a great point. And I think it's, uh, so interesting and hopefully people feel, um, that if they're in an unhealthy relationship, they can seek help and have support outside of it. And maybe that can help with figuring out what the next steps are, but, um, kind of transferring onto, um, what have you kind of seen? I mean, Consent as a whole is a huge topic, and um, I know we could maybe go into the definition of it and you know what it looks like. And I think you know some people think it maybe always has to be verbal, like verbally communicated. Um, but can it look different, or can it um, be presented in different ways that maybe people don't um, know about, or or is it does it always have to be this um, verbal? Um, you know, s- statement, um, what do you, what are your thoughts on this? What do you think?
0: Yeah. So just going back to the unhealthy relationships, I didn't mention the most obvious ones. So if there's like physical abuse, sexual abuse, yeah, or, you yeah. know, emotional, yeah. verbal abuse, for sure. Those are the big ones yes. that, you know, are yes. very obvious. Um, but I assume people will, but you know what? I don't want to assume. So let's just yes. put it out there. So yeah. consent yes. also is part of a really healthy relationship, right? Um, and so, um, if we're talking sexual consent specifically, um, most people, so research has shown that most people actually don't verbally consent. They non-verbally consent and they make assumptions based on body language from continuing activity. Um, however, the best and most explicit way to consent is verbally. And I know that probably doesn't sound super sexy, and it probably sounds a little bit kind of stiff and contrived, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but it's the only way that you could be sure, because when we just use this example in class, when I'm teaching my seminar class, is that if you're heavily making out with somebody and their hand goes on your knee, you may think, yes, this is, this is yummy and delicious, and I'm going to kind of keep on going, you know, because the person is now touching me, and they were there. But let's say that person is in sort of an actual physical position where they can't really move away from you. Right. Maybe they're up against the wall or something, and on their knee because they want to push you away. Right. Right. So they're trying to communicate, and then you're making an assumption because you want to keep kissing them, you know, because you're biased and you think you're such a great person to kiss, right? So you interpret that according to our own lens according to our own perceptions and our own beliefs um where in fact their internal experience is completely the opposite they're saying whoa this is too much you need to stop and i'm trying to signal you to physically move away from me so it's usually best if if there's a change of some kind you kind of want to check in with them can i keep going are you okay and you want that yes yes keep going oh shut up just keep talking you know keep doing what you're doing but if it's sort of like a uh uh-huh or a shrug and that's not really a yes in my books right that's more of a I guess yeah at that point you might even though you want to continue you might want to reflect and say you don't really seem a hundred percent comfortable with this um like you know are like do you really want to continue or should we just kind of stop and maybe you know what in fact we'll just kind of stop and pick this up another time
1: for sure, for sure, it's, it's interesting. There's also, yeah, there's also something. Sorry, go ahead. Oh well, yeah, it, I just was going to say it. It's interesting because it's kind of both ways in the sense that you said like kind of almost providing opportunity, like not only just maybe one person to, you know, stop and say, yes, I want to get consent, but maybe like both people, uh, giving the opportunity to give to give consent, right? Like not just waiting until exactly. they do it, right? Like they are are both like giving time, right? I think maybe that is a good um, thing to keep in mind and remember. Um, but yeah, you can keep going for exactly. sure.
0: Yeah.
1: So we know we
0: all consent being. You know very pause like it's a positive affirmation it's enthusiastic and i also have to let everybody know that sometimes um consent is consent um even when it's not totally enthusiastic and for sort of the sexual pleasure in the moment or whatever it is in the moment so there's this the, in, in the world of sexuality research there's something called compliant sex and i know that this sounds like the worst thing that you could ever possibly have, but you know, give me give me a few sentences to sort of explain <laughs> what it is. And this is typically something that we see in long term relationships. Yeah. And so, um, what we see is that people fully consent to engaging sexually with their partner or partners, but they're not super enthusiastic about it. So they're not necessarily doing it for the sexual pleasure of the moment. Um, perhaps, you know, they are doing it, um, you know, they're doing it for their partner, which is not necessarily non-consensual, yeah. um, but they're trying to meet the needs of the relationship as opposed to their own kind of sexual pleasure in that moment yeah. by it ha- engaging in this activity to meet sort of the intimacy needs to, you know, to meet other needs than just immediate sexual pleasure with another person or people. Yeah. Um, and so it's sort of like, yeah, okay, I consent to it. And yeah, it was good, you know, but you know, I like I could have had like, I could have watched another Netflix episode or, you know, like, it was it was good. And I consented and it was nice for the relationship. But it's not something that I myself derived a 100% pleasure from that was, you know, that I needed in that particular moment. Right. And so there is this kind of construct of client sex. People are looking at this right. and they're realizing that, you know, consent can be given, yeah. um, even if it is not like a million percent enthusiastic yeah. and sort of rooted in sexual pleasure for that person in that moment, right? Right.
1: You no, know, it's very interesting. And it's maybe, you know, the definition of or the Um, enthusiasm is for is for a different reason or it's um, in like you said for the relationship but maybe they're not enthusiastic necessarily for themselves um so yeah that's super interesting and um it's definitely it's it's good to realize that uh verbal is the best way um and the most clear but it's it's important to also just um give opportunity for both people to, um, decide to keep going. Um, kind of moving on to, uh, I know in your course, you talk about, uh, forms of communication. Um, so do you think, you know, people should know about, like, if there are some indicators you mentioned body language, is is there any other kind of indicators of, um, forms of communication that you think everyone should know about?
0: Mm, Yeah, really good question. I give like, I could literally give a whole class on communication. I I, like do give one full class on it, but it almost doesn't seem to be enough. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. so there's verbal and there's nonverbal communication now when we're texting with people we don't have necessarily sort of the nonverbal stuff that's why we have emojis and that's why we have all sorts of <laughs> symbols that can qualify when yeah. teasing someone or if we're flirting with someone yeah. or if we're really just angry with somebody there are really emojis that actually replace not necessarily completely replaced, but yeah. they they supplement our text, you know, in an effort to yeah. kind of convey something that you're not necessarily saying in words.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, but when we're interacting with people, either remotely or you know, face to face, you know, um, there are components of um, nonverbal language such as body language, such as facial expression, um, that we need to be paying attention to, um, because usually. Um, that carries a lot of weight to supplement the words that people are saying. Because some people may be, you know, you may be like, well, that sounds really nice. Like what they're saying sounds really positive to me. But they're crossing their arms and their face is a little bit frowny. And then you can clarify, say your words sound really nice. But your language, like your body language is telling me, that you know you don't mean it in a nice way like what's this all about you know like let's talk about that and so it it kind of you need to be paying attention you can't be looking at your phone you can't be checking out someone down the street you know or kind of looking at a song you need when people are talking to you you need to look at them and actually try to try to sort of match what they're saying with how their body is looking and if there's like inconsistencies um it's really good to just sort of say, like, I hear what you're saying and it sounds like it's good, but I also get the impression that you're not completely um, being like, like really comfortable sort of telling me this right now, or there's something else that's going on. and So it takes a bit of practice right. um, to kind of get that done and, and facial expression, especially fake smiles, right? When you just smile with your right. with your lips and not your eyes, like you, you, need, you need to sort of know sort of what to look for. And, and obviously- yeah. You know, some people smile right before they get really angry. So if that's like a characteristic of your friend or your partner, you know, like, you know what that means is everybody has idiosyncratic kind of patterns, right? Right. But there are really like when we talk verbal communication, um, there are some really good things to engage in. um, And part of that involves being a really good listener and then being a clear communicator. Um, and really communicating, you know, coming from where you're coming from, as opposed to blaming someone for where you are at. Right. So I I won't go into like a million in detail, but I'll talk mainly about eye language. Um, So I don't mean eye as an eyeball. (laughs) Uh, I mean, eye as in like, like, you know, person eye, um, where let's say you and your partner want to talk about something that is a little bit Um, you know it's maybe a little bit heated Um, and you don't want to so let's say you've had a particularly disastrous kind of sexual you know sort of experience together where um, you know it did not go as planned um, and you are just wanting to refer back back to it in order to open up that conversation in order to kind of move forward Um, and so You probably don't want to do it immediately after you probably kind of want to wait a little while until sort of emotions are a little bit more under control. Um, And then you probably just want to say something like, you know, I'd like to bring up this topic. Like, are you ready to sort of chat with me about it? Um, And then, of course, respect, you know, their decision. And if they say no, not right now, then you actually make a time. Um, and you make sure you're not like, you know, in public while you're having this conversation, you sort of set up a, 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 like a little date for that. Um, and then you just want to talk about, you don't want to say, you know, that was the worst sex I had in my life. Like that, that was terrible. You were not like it, like communicating. You were not listening to what I wanted. You don't want to sort of put it on them. You want to own sort of your experience and open up that conversation because the minute you start blaming somebody and putting them like in your work, yeah. the first thing that is likely going to happen is that they're going to say, no, that's not true. And guess what? The right. conversation's pretty over and that relationship yeah. will be over because you're at an impasse right away. You're, you're creating a situation where someone can easily just say, no, that's not true. You're the the one and then we get into blame game game to play um so what you want to say is you know like I you know like to talk about this thanks for taking the time like you know I just wanted to like know that you know I felt that that could have gone a little bit better I felt that my needs weren't really being met and I felt that I was you know communicating what I needed in a way that really didn't gel with you know where you were at at that time um And so, you know, that then you own your feelings and they can't really disagree with how you feel, right? But they can disagree with how you're blaming them, right? Right. So you kind of open it up and then then hopefully you've opened up that conversation to being a lot more balanced, right? Right. Um, So that's called eye language. And that is a really good thing to kind of practice where you kind of open the conversation to the possibility of being had as opposed to people pointing fingers and doing the, no it was you and it's your fault you know blah 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 um so that's a really good thing you know and and really i think that i think that um it makes sense to kind of have you know sort of you only talk about that topic you know sort of at hand Um, And you might even want to frame it in such a way such that, you know, this relationship is really important to me. Mm -hmm. I am like, I'm so happy with our sex life. I just want to talk about what happened, you know, that one time when I didn't have the erection, um, you know, or something, you know, so you want to kind of frame that kind of eye language also in a really nice way, such that the person knows that you're not really defining them by this by this like something right um and so it really sort of kind of takes on this more balanced kind of way so that's another thing but there are certain things that you want to avoid so you want to like you know you want to open it up you want to provide some really good feedback you want to be a good listener you want to be looking at them um or at least looking towards them person you you just want to be looking in their general direction you want to be listening saying things like what you're doing right now Uh uh-huh uh-huh you know letting me know you're listening you might want to rephrase oh what I'm getting from what you're saying is x y and z is that right Mm -hmm. um and you want to support you know you could be like this looks like it's really hard for you you know like Mm -hmm. like you know what could I do and I and I know it's hard and I'm here and I'm not going to get mad like I will do my best to help us you know move past this right so you want to support them in that way Um, Things to avoid are things like criticizing your partner. So instead of complaining about something, we are allowed to complain, you know? Like I feel that my time isn't being valued uh, when you you refuse to take out the garbage, you know, every single week. Like I feel that, you know, uh, it's my time is worth less than yours due to your behavior. You wanna talk about behavior and not a person, right? Like you're inconsiderate. You yeah. don't, you know, like because you blame the person, you know. yeah, and you criticize, right? And immediately there the defense comes up, yeah. you know, in most people.
1: Yeah. You
0: also don't yeah. want to do the eye rolling or the uh, you know, like the bad, like the mean voice, like I can't even like the sneer. Yeah. Um, so that really conveys contempt for the person as opposed to a complaint about a behavior. Um, You also want to, even if someone, if if your partner comes to you with a you, 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 you may also want to like not engage and say, you know, um, I like you're blaming me and my first reaction is to be defensive. Uh, And I'm trying to not be defensive. So let's talk about this in terms of our own experiences of that situation. And you may even want to coach your partner in terms of how to talk to you about this, right? Um, And then there are other things like, you know, you always want to respond in some way. um, Because if you just ignore your partner, that's called stonewalling. And that is actually a very, um, that is a part of communication that's very, very, um, predictive of relationship termination, or at least a very, very unhappy relationship. So that's when you want to bring something up to your partner and they literally like, do not even engage with you. So you're like talking to a, a wall, right? That's right. what's called a stone wall, right? right. Not that and any wall wouldn't talk back to you, but a right. stone wall I think conveys like how, how how much you're not, you know, sort of talking. Yeah. And then there's the belligerence, right? The belligerence is sort of like this quality, and I talked about this a little bit before, where, you know, you kind of don't have any influence in your own relationship, where, you know, you're telling your partner, oh, I, like, my needs aren't being met, like, I feel like my, my needs aren't valued, I feel, you know, and your is just sort of like, oh, well, what are you going to do about it? You know, like, it's not up to you. Like, you're not the boss here, right? And I mean, maybe not so explicitly, but it's sort of like, whatever, like dismissive. And it's it's completely con- like de- destructive as opposed to constructive, right? Yeah. And so that are typically is what we'll see in those unhealthy relationships. Yeah. Um, and I could go on and on and on, but I won't. Yeah. But those are sort of the nuggets, you know, that I wanted to sort of it's, convey uh, to the student exactly.
1: population or to anyone. <laughs> oh, no, for sure. And it's so interesting. All those aspects are so true. And it seems like communication almost takes practice and it's probably unique within yeah. every relationship. And looking, you know, you, you it is hard work to communicate. Yeah, yeah. It seems like it, it just takes time to learn how somebody communicates. And that's, and that's part of a relationship, yeah. any relationship. Um, any type of relationship and it's interesting you brought up that the you know people will fight back and kind of say that oh well that's not true and I remember learning something about you know everyone has their own truth and whether or not something happened or didn't happen if they're saying I feel this way that is their truth and that is their they're valid in that right and so I think it's so important that you said that, you know, we're talking about the I language and, and instead of using any type of blaming language or you this, uh, you're saying I feel this and maybe that will take off some of the uh, blame or criticizing someone else. So, so important and it's so interesting and um, I think it's important for people to think about and maybe just reflect if they're um, doing a good or bad job of communicating or or practice or be aware of it. Um, So yeah, thank you for all that. And kind of last kind of topics are like, what are some of the main uh, sexual health issues you've seen, you know, whether it's with Queen students or with um, people in the Kingston demographic, what are the main, um, you know, challenges that that people you've seen encounter?
0: There are many, and some of them, you know, are sort of more identity-based, like, who am I sexually? Um, You know, others are more, you know, or who am I in terms of my gender? Um, Sometimes it is issues of sexual consent, you know, and so I have hard and very, very, very difficult conversations with some people, um, not only through, you know, just my interactions with some students who feel comfortable talking to me, um, but, you know, through um, seeing a lot of people at the clinics and at the clinic as well as, um, you know, just uh, like conversations with people overall um, who are young adults. Um, and so, you know, um, I think that I'll go less kind of more like less problem based and a bit more thematic here, which is that I feel that a lot of the issues I see are because people, um, especially young adults, are trying to kind of. Fit into themselves into something that is pre existing. So they feel that they're not quote unquote normal because they don't like X, Y, and Z, which is what most people sort of like, or they're having an issue and they sort of bring it up to their friends and their friends are like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. So I think a lot of people sort of carry with them. This is a product of our societies that there's sort of a right way and kind of a wrong way to be sexual. And if you want to be sexual, like and it kind of has to be done you know, in a certain order and sort of a certain context. And I think that even though we may not really consciously subscribe to kind of these scripts that we have, um, that a lot of people internalize them just from, you know, living and being and, and being exposed to movies and, yeah. um, all sorts of things. And so I think that some people have very rigid ideas about how things are. Yeah. Um, and they try to fit themselves into that. Yeah. And I, I want to say, you know, like, as long as the activity that you are engaging in is pleasurable for you and your partner or partners, and it's consensual, yeah. um, you should, you know, you should feel good about creating your own kind of sexuality with your partner and partners. Um, and and, you know, allowing like guys to kind of be there. And if they work for you, that's great. Um, but you also have to think outside those guidelines because guess what maybe a penis may not work very well or maybe a vagina doesn't want to be penetrated you know or maybe you know um people have different ideas and different preferences for what things are pleasurable so we need to kind of be experimental and we need to be pleasure focused as opposed to goal focused um you know if orgasm is your goal a hundred percent of the time And it has to be a certain orgasm that is like, literally like, you know, um, like fireworks have to emerge Uh and it has to be groundbreaking, you know, Um, you have to think about why is that one of your goals? Why can you not think outside of that? And then what on earth happens when that goal isn't met in terms of your reactions to that, that Mm -hmm. sex isn't worth having, that you suck as a sexual person, that your partner is terrible. Right. like like you have the think and perhaps reorganize you know sort of being super goal focused on sort of you know on one thing to be like well it feels good i'm you know experimenting like i think people just need a more flexible approach you know to sexuality yeah and more of a creative kind of endeavor and you know if you have particular preferences you will find somebody who either has similar preferences to you um, or who will be on board to experiment with you on that. And it takes communication and it definitely takes going out on a limb, um, you know, in terms of opening yourself up to perhaps rejection and perhaps a bit of judgment. Um, But you need to be true to who you are sexually and you're not going to figure that out right away. And you may be someone sexually, in your 20s but that may actually change in your 30s and that may then change again in your 40s so we we have to be we have to evolve right what works for you in your 20s is probably not going to work for you in your 40s and we have we have to have that flexibility right Mm -hmm. um another thing that really that yeah that I was thinking of is that Porn is like all the thing right now. And I'm not trying to assume that everybody watches porn. I know that a lot of people actually stay away from it. Um, But a lot of people who do watch porn, um, and I think porn could be used really, really, like in wonderful ways. I actually recommend porn to some couples that are in my service, right? And at the clinic and things like that. We could use this as a tool to kind of enhance discussions, kind of increase arousal, break out of scripts. But I think sometimes people approach porn as sort of like, this is what sex should look like. And this is how I have to act during sex. And these are the sex acts I need to engage in in order to be sexual. And that's probably combined with the fact that there's not a lot of good sex information out there and people don't really have good models, you know, right. but it falls into the theme of kind of creating your own. You can kind of see what's out there and you can try them on yeah. and you can be like, nope, or yes, and oh, this yeah. and that. And you need to be able to kind of look at that as potentials, but not as what sex should look like, because most of the time porn that we're able to get um, on the internet, whether we're paying for it or not, it's all scripted. It is part of this bias script we have in our heads. Right. right. Um, and it is, you know, we don't see the background communication. We don't see like, you, you know, like it takes hours to film like a 10 minute right. sex scene and it may go over several days, you know, and it's so unreal. And I, and I, I, it hurts me when people are like, my sex life doesn't look like it should. And I say, well, what should it look like? And they're like, well, like in porn. And I'm like, okay, we need to understand that porn is a great adjunct. It can be an education tool, but it is not the model of what sex should look like. It's not even what bodies should look like. It's not a model. It's something that you can look at. And maybe increase your repertoire or, you know, increase your arousal and expand your own sexuality. But we shouldn't be following what we see in porn, you know, if it's stuff that we don't really enjoy. Because sexuality is all about pleasure and connection and, you know, like, and it's about experimenting. Sometimes about laughing at stuff that doesn't work, you know, and it, it's just about that connection, whether you're sexual with yourself or with one person or a dozen people, right. it's about connecting with people in this way. Right. And if you're trying things on that don't really fit for you, yeah, and I would say, you know, maybe it's again later or, or maybe it'll right. never, you know, but you don't, your, your sexuality isn't going to have to look like something that you yeah. see out there. Right. You create this on your own
1: right no and that's yeah that's um, yeah, so true i think it's an important lesson and um so important to realize um you kind of answered my mm-hmm. last question because i was <laughs> going to talk i was going to ask you about kind of what practices uh queen students or young people should consider when being sexually active but um you kind of went over you know be, being willing to um being flexible and open and communicating um so maybe just Um, for anyone, you know, looking to do that, do you have any recommendations for resources out there or, um, you know, what they can do if they want to try new things? Do you have some um, advice for any uh, resources? Well, yeah,
0: absolutely. So, you know, um, I think porn can be very not so good in some situations, but very good in other situations, right? So if you want to expand your repertoire, you could either look on your own or with your partner or partners, you know, kind of take a look at porn that you normally wouldn't watch and kind of be like, hey, hey, that sounds good. Or that looks good. There are also apps that you could sort of, you know, connect with on people where you list your preferences. and You can kind of see where both of you kind of match on those. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you like board games, there are sex board games as well. Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah you know, so you don't always have to do everything quickly, like or, you know, on your phone, you can go back to some of these really creative sex board games that are out there. Oh, cool. um, and yeah. And there's an amazing website called OMG. Yes. And this is geared towards people who have um, sort who have vulvas and clitorises and who are not really sure how to stoke their own pleasure. And I, I think it's a pretty reasonable price to pay. Um, I think it's like you pay one Months. it's not like a subscription where you pay every month but it it goes like there's like level one and then there's level two so i think it's 35 us for level one and you get access to different kinds of self, self-stimulation you get access to videos of people kind of showing what works for them and having really really amazing it's so high quality it's amazing and then level two is sort of more intercourse or penetrative kind of you know acts and, and sort of going deeper and kind of changing angles and it's just amazing wow There's also a really great um, app out there called Dipsy, D-I-P-S-E-A. And it is erotic literature that you listen to. It's like a podcast of just erotic stories. And there are different themes within there. So if you like some bondage, there's like the bondage kind of theme that if you like, you know, masturbation stuff, well, there you go. You could pick genders, you could have like tons of people versus solo and there are actually these really super cool um little exercises at the beginning that you could do to kind of explore your own wants and your own needs and your own body and you focus on touch and it's just amazing so there are tons of apps and and like you know sort of Lots of different things out there, you know, Um, but obviously we need to be safe. And so safe sex is something, safer sex is something that needs to be taken into account. Um, So the SHRC, the Sexual Health Resource Centre, I really do recommend people check it out. They have at-cost sex toys. They have really amazing condoms. There's like a Library, there's tons and lots of stuff there. So right here on our campus is the SHRC and there are experts who run it, who right. are gonna talk to you about stuff, you know? Right. So SHRC is fantastic. And then there's all these like little apps and stuff that you could do. There's the OMDS, I mean, I can go on, but I won't. Yeah. Um, but you know, if there's something specific that people are looking for, they can Google it, they can email me, right. like there's all different ways that we can sort of do right. this. I'm um, together because really like I, I took a look at you know sort of apps that people could download like, there's like like thousands, you know, like of different things. You kind go through yeah. take the time, go through yeah. them and yeah. you know, safer sex, um, you know, sort of creating your own pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always say, especially with young adults, I know not everybody masturbates, but if someone is open to this. Um, that is also a really great thing to do so that you know what turns you on so that you can either when you're with a partner or partners, you can go ahead and sort of direct stimulation in certain ways or, you know, sort of, sort of ensure your own pleasure, like be assertive in verbal and nonverbal ways how to communicate with your partner, because a lot of people are like, oh, I, I don't masturbate, I'm not comfortable with it, then I don't have lessons with my partner. And I have to have those tough conversations with them to say, well, what turns you on? Like, what feels good? And they're like, I don't know, I don't masturbate. And it's like, are you interested in doing that? Can we set it up so that it's kind of comfortable? Because if you know what kind of works for you, you'll be able to actually gain more out of your activity And then not only do you know what works for you, you can actually see what sort of works with that particular partner on that particular day to kind of Mm -hmm. make it more pleasurable for you. So, you know, sometimes it really does take a little bit of reflection and a little bit of permission and a little bit of coaching, right? Right. Um, And having that really tough,
1: awkward conversation,
0: you know, Um, amazing.
1: Um, Yeah. No, that's awesome. And I think these, you know, it's so nice that, you know, you're so open about these conversations. Not everybody is. And it can be, it can be tough to talk about these things and it can be, you know, awkward and embarrassing. So it's, it's refreshing to, you know, just, just learn about it. And um, I think, you know, that kind of is maybe the first step to um, someone taking the next steps that they need to. So thank you so much for joining me today. That's all the questions I have, but Um, I really enjoyed it. So thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me, Rosie. All right. So the next segment is actually our own public relations intern, Kristen DeSanto. And she interviewed Katrina, who is our current uh, campus outreach coordinator. And previously she was a Belize peer educator and she chats about her experience on initiative the food she ate, where she stayed, and you can get a feel of what her day-to-day was like. Hi, everyone. I'm Kristen, and I'm the public relations intern for QHO this year. Today, I'm joined with Kat. She is this year's campus outreach coordinator and was a former Belize PE. So welcome, Kat, to the podcast. I am
2: excited to be interviewing you today. To start off, can I get you to introduce yourself? Yeah, well, it's, it's great to be here talking with you, Kristen. So my name's Katrina, and I'm in fourth year life science at Queen's. So I've been a part of QHO for the past three years. Um, and my first year in the organization, I was a Belize Peer Educator. Um, and my second year, I was the Belize Initiative Director. Um, and then I've kept on with the organization um, after that. And this, this year, I'm the Campus Outreach Coordinator. Wow, so you did lots with QHO. So what year are you in? What program are you in right now? I'm in my fourth year of life science at Queen's. And where are you from? Um, I'm from a little town um, just north of Toronto, um, kind of close to where Aurora is. Oh, okay. Very nice. I know you went to Belize for your initiative. Can you describe the community and the environment to me? Sure. So I went to Belize um, for my initiative and Belize is a small country in the northeastern part of Central America. Um, And it has a population of just under 400,000 people, Um, so it's not a super big country, and it it was a British colony, um, like Canada, so the official language there is English, however, there is a a variety of dialects also spoken. And when I was there, I was working in high schools in Belize City, which is the capital city, and it's their largest urban centre. And then I also worked in high schools in De which is a much smaller town, and it's um, in the south of the country on the coast. So
1: very cool. Okay, so can you describe a day in the life as a PE for me?
2: Yeah, so um, when I was in Belize, we would spend most of the weekdays, so Monday to Friday, uh, working on classrooms, and then the weekend we would have off as school wasn't running. Um, So on a typical school day, we would get up pretty early around like seven o'clock in the morning and eat some breakfast and head out for our day. Most of the school started around 8.30, and we'd either have to walk there, um, or we might take a cab if we were in Belize City, depending on where we had to walk to. Um, So we would go to a usually about two to six classes per day. It depended on which schools we were working at um, and kind of what the schedule was. We would go to usually more than one school um, each day and classes would usually be about 45 minutes in length which is a typical high school period in Belize Um, but in some of our non-traditional classrooms they could be a bit longer maybe up to like an hour and a half um, so we would, we would do our lessons there. We would usually eat lunch at the school. So a lot of the schools had cafeterias where you could buy kind of like hot meals. So sometimes we would do that or sometimes we would bring our own food. Um, and then after the day at school, we would head back home. Um, we'd usually spend some time in the afternoon, just relaxing, taking a break or read a book because it is very hot in Belize and it can take a lot of um, energy out of you. Um, so then we would do whatever shopping we needed for the day and get dinner. So then each evening we'd spend about an hour preparing our our lessons and discussions for the next day. Um, And every night, my group would work out together and we would usually do a 45 minute to an hour Tabata workout, uh, which is one of my favorite things to look forward to. And then before bed, we would take some time to read um, and I decided to journal every night and just kind of reflect on how my day went. And um, then we'd go to bed and start it again the next day. Wow so you guys are very busy there. (laughs) Yeah lots lots to do. Yeah so what are some of the health topics or what are some of your favorite health topics that you discussed on initiative? Yeah, so we, I mean, we discuss a whole variety of stuff when we're on initiative. I think two of my favorites, um, the first one was mental health, which I think is a really universal topic and very applicable to everyone. Um, Like mental health is definitely a spectrum and everyone has good days, bad days, as well as um, there's like a whole variety of things that go into it. So that was a really nice one to be able um, to connect with people. I also um, really liked doing a lesson on goal setting. Um, and I thought this was a really fun way to connect with students and just be able to share like what my goals were with um, like the the students I was working with and also hear and understand what their goals were too. Um, so this activity I always thought was so much fun because it was really good to connect. We'd always have um, really good conversations come out of it. Yeah, for sure. That sounds so interesting. How was the house that you stayed in and how was your host? Sure. So just to kind of make it clear so I stayed in two different locations when I was in Belize I was in Belize City for three weeks and then I was in Dangriga for three weeks as well Mm -hmm. Um, so in Belize City I stayed at a guest house um, of one of our contacts in Belize and her name's Anna Um, so it's just it was a like a little one floor um, house on the north side of the city and it had like three little bedrooms a bathroom and a kitchenette Um, and it backed onto the river that ran through the city, which was um, really nice. And then in Dangriga, I stayed at the Chelinor Hotel, which is a hostel run by Chad and his wife, Eleanor, who are now very good friends of QHO as well. And when we were there, we had um, two bedrooms that we shared between uh, my group. So there was four of us all together in my group. And then there was a bathroom that um, was shared communally between all the hotel guests that were there. My favorite part of that location was they had a little rooftop kind of like unfinished patio area where we would go up and you could get the breeze off the ocean. Um, so it was a nice place to go and cool down for a bit. Wow. Was the, how was the food you ate in Belize? Yeah. So when I was in Belize, I definitely tried a lot of new things um, and some lo- the local cuisine is um, delicious. So it was really cool to try some of that. So we would eat a lot of local food. food. We didn't stay in any locations where we had a full kitchen, so we couldn't really make any elaborate meals ourselves. Um, But sometimes we would do um, like salads or um, sandwiches for lunch and stuff like that. So some of the food I tried in Belize, one of the most um, famous dishes is rice and beans or beans and rice, which are actually two very different things, although they sound the same. I think the most common one is, rice and beans, and it's, as it kind of sounds, a mixture of rice and beans together, and there would usually be um, some spices in it, Um, they would have some sort of protein on the side, so the most common one, I think, is stewed chicken, and then there'd be um, a potato salad that would go with it, and that was kind of a meal you could find anywhere and everywhere. It was um, very, very specific to the country. I mean, we ate a lot of other food too. Um, burritos are really popular, um, meat pies. Um, and also one of the favorite things I tried are called salbutes. And it's like, it's a corn tortilla with um, a tomato, some cabbage, um, and a little bit of sauce on it. And um, deep fried and very, very delicious. And then um, some other cool things was they would have lots of fresh juices. So watermelon juice or pineapple juice made out of um, fresh fruit was really um, delicious. And then in Belize, they're famous for their Mary Sharps hot sauce, which is kind of like ketchup in Canada. It's on every table, everywhere you go. Um, There's always some of that there. Oh, that's so cool. Okay. And then to finish off, can you just
1: tell me your favorite memory from Initiative or QHO in general?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, I've been on the organization for a long time, and it's really hard to um, pick one particular memory that um, really stands out to me. The organization in general is a great community-based, and um, obviously, Initiative is a very special memory for me. But two two particular um, things I can think of on Initiative was I really enjoyed working in um, the YWCA classroom when I was in Belize City. And this was an alternative style style classroom, um, but it was all girls who were in it. And I remember just having really good connections with um, those girls. And we were able to spend a lot of time um, in their classrooms. And it was, we probably had about like 15 to 10 um, students in each class. So it was a really nice way to be able um, to connect and make like really strong friendships. And then my favorite part about being in the classrooms in Belize is at the end of each lesson or discussion, we would do a question box. Um, So we would give everyone in the class the opportunity to write something down, and then we would read through all of them. And this was just a really, fun activity because it would we'd always get a range of questions things asking um, specific to the discussion we were talking about and it was really nice to be able to clarify points that maybe were misunderstood or if people wanted more info on stuff but it was also just such a fun activity to get some of the like the funnier questions um, or just like to learn about each other. So there would be lots of questions asking about um, what my life was at home, what Canada was like or asking what we thought about um, the particular location we were in. And it was just a really nice way to make a lot of discussion and really like share different opinions amongst everyone. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'm sure it was lots of fun and great experience. Um, yeah but that's pretty much it that's all the questions
1: I have for you today but thank you for joining me and telling me more about QHO and your experience it was super
2: interesting yeah it was great to talk to you (laughs) oh thank you Kat
1: and that's a wrap for today's episode I hope you enjoyed the content and I hope you're staying healthy being kind to yourself and one another and I hope you tune in again soon